0: My name is Jen Ruiz, author of 25 Ways to Make Money Online. And if you want to learn how to define your best life and have the courage to live it, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman.
1: Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one size fits all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I am so excited to bring you an interview this week with Jen Ruiz. Jen is a lawyer turned full-time travel blogger and an author. She's a number one best-selling Amazon and Reader's Favorite award winner. She's also a two-time TEDx speaker and has been featured as a budget and solo travel expert by the Washington Post, Huffington Post, Business Insider, CBS This Morning, and ABC News. Jen documents her adventures on her website, Jen on a Jet Plane, where she helps young professionals fly for less and experience more. I had so much fun with Jen talking to other people who just understand the legal field and have chosen to pursue a passion, whether that involves leaving the legal field behind or whether it involves, you know, doing both at the same time. I just absolutely loved being able to engage in this conversation with her. We talk about so much on this podcast when you put so much time and effort and energy into something, and you want to leave that behind in order to pursue a passion. And Jen and I really dig into what that was like for her to walk away from the years of education that she had put into becoming an attorney and decide that that was no longer where her future was. It's such an important message, and Jen really has an amazing way of bringing that home. I'm really excited for you to hear it. Before we jump into that, I wanted to take just a minute to talk to you. If you are a person who feels like you just don't know where your life's headed, you thought you had it all figured out, and now you're just not sure if you're going in the right direction. Maybe you or somebody that you know is what I call a serial accomplisher, where you just get addicted to that feeling of accomplishment when you complete things, and you don't necessarily take the time to look up and see what direction you're going. Is your ship pointed in the right direction? Are you climbing the right mountain? There's so many different ways that we could put that into an analogy, but it all comes down to the same thing. At some point in time, you wake up, you look up, and you realize that your life isn't where you want it to be. You have put so much time and effort and energy and resources and commitment into getting to where you are, and you're just not sure if you can change what's involved in that? What does my life hold? Uh, What do I want my life to hold? That's the better question. For this purpose, I created the define your life mastermind. Before you can have the life that you want to have, you have to be able to define what that life is. And that's a step that we skip all too often. So in the Define Your Life Mastermind, we'll get really clear about what success means to you. What does a well-rounded life mean to you? What do great relationships look like? What does a great career look like? What is your perfect relationship with money? How do you feel about spirituality? How do you feel about health? What is the perfect way that your life fits together? And let me tell you a secret, your life isn't going to fit together the same as mine or as anybody else's. It's going to be your own unique creation of what your perfect life is. And once you can define it, then we get to start having the fun of allowing you to get out of your comfort zone so that you can live it. If this sounds like something that you are interested in, I have a Next mastermind starting on October 1st. I would love to have you in it. Head over to defineyourlife.morethancorporate.com. There's some information there for you, and there's an opportunity for you to book a call with me so that we can see if we're a good fit to work together and I can answer any questions you have about the mastermind. I am super excited to help you define your best life, create a business around the life that you want to have and step out of your comfort zone to live the life that you have always dreamed of, desired, and deserved. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump into this amazing conversation with Jen. Jen, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for having me, Amber.
1: I'm excited to jump into your story. I think that there's so much value here. And as a fellow attorney turned podcaster, um, I just love hearing these stories of people who found a passion when they were working in a a field that everybody else sees as like the golden ticket to happiness. Um, So I'm super excited to dig into that. Um, Why don't we go ahead and go way back, though, to maybe high school age and what you thought your life was going to look like um, when you were sitting there planning for the future.
0: Believe it or not, law wasn't really on my radar initially until kind of the end of college. I wasn't one of those people that grew up always wanting to be a lawyer. I had a more glamorous career goal in mind. I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. I was hoping to be on TV one day. I initially went into college with a communications major, um, and that was something that I really enjoyed, but actually ended up just by chance. My school's uh, communications program was further away, right? It was on a different campus. Um, So I switched my major to political science to be able to stay on the main campus and be involved in my sorority and student government and all the things I was doing there. Um, And that's how I ended up going into the political law, I mean, political science field, and then eventually law.
1: What was it about um, the law that drew you into that world? Once I did start to uh, work In these different
0: student groups and be part of student government and see the impact that we were able to have you know I was able to have really cool experiences which is why I always advocate that people get involved when they are in school because there's so many things you can take advantage of that you just wouldn't have access to in any other setting so for instance we were able to lobby state senators for some of our school's needs and we went to the Capitol and we met with um, you know, then Marco Rubio, head of the state um, senate there. And political affiliations aside, I had no idea he would one day be a presidential (laughs) candidate or anything of the sort. Um, But it was just such a cool thing to see and to be part of the political process as a student and to really feel like what you're doing is making an impact. And I think that that was always what drew me to law. I think maybe some other people would be drawn by the finances or the lucrative aspect of it. But I really thought that law was a powerful field. Everybody that ended up making laws and all the presidents and all the people that, you know, got in history, um, they were really attorneys at one point. And so I really thought it was a prestigious field to be a part of. And it's one that I'm still proud to be affiliated with today, even if I'm not actively practicing.
1: Yeah, I can definitely appreciate that as well. You know, that, that badge and, um, going through law school and and the struggles that you go through to get there. And then the people that you help in your career, that's something that you never, you never um, want to give up. So I can definitely appreciate the being involved in it um, and being proud to be a part of it. When you decided to go to law school, did you leave the dreams of being a broadcast journalist behind or were you still kind of hoping you'd get back there someday?
0: I, and I guess I've always found a way to do what it is that I now know is what I was meant to do, which to me is, is writing. And I think that that's always what has drawn me in every aspect along the way. It was just something I didn't see while it was happening. Um, but I always was in debate and I always was in these kind of speech clubs. And it's because I enjoyed storytelling and convincing people and, you know, having people listen and at attention and really want to know what's coming next. Like, I love that aspect of it. And I think that that was what drew me to be a litigator and to be in trial to And those were the activities I really enjoyed. And I didn't like legal writing. I didn't like journal. I was on journal, but I found it so tedious. And I, found you know, I resented it. And I think it was because my creativity was stifled. I didn't really have the same ability to tell a story rather than just kind of recite facts and make an argument, um, which is what I felt I was able to get and make up for with trial team, right? I could get in front of a jury and I could tell a story and let me tell you what really happened here. Um, And it was that kind of just human connection. I remember just wanting to speak like a human and just, you know, not worry about whether or not a period is italicized or not. (laughs) I didn't want those worries in my life. And so I didn't realize it. And when I first started off, Practicing law, I would actually. So I was barred in Maryland. I was a clerk for a year uh, for a judge, and then I moved to Florida because I knew I didn't want to be located in Maryland. And if I stayed there, I would get entrenched into kind of a path and and not really have a way out. Um, so I was like, you know, it sucks to take a bar all over again and to relocate. But if I'm gonna do it, now's the time. Yes. Um, So I I moved down to Florida, I I lived with my best friend for a couple of months, I worked at a law firm making, you know, $15 an hour as a bar attorney, um, while I was pending Florida bar results and, and taking that. So that was something that was very helpful to me, because during that time, I realized that You know, I really didn't like the day-to-day work of being an attorney and doing these forms. And I would find an escape in things like writing. And that's when I started writing and contributing to Elite Daily, which before it was acquired, they had an open contributor system. You could respond to things. And I had more than 50 articles published with them because every day I'd go into this, you know, pit firm that I was working at temporarily. And I'd fill out, because honestly, like let's be real, like attorneys know how real, how long. <laughs> be it. So I was like, I can get all of these things done in like 20 minutes and then spend the rest of my morning knocking out like breaking news articles for early. <laughs> early.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> was your family um, in the legal field or college educated as well or were you the first person in your family to go to college I
0: was the first attorney in my in my family and my mom was the first person in my
1: family to go to college so when you um for you personally in your the way that you were raised was college always part of the picture while you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do um was that just kind of a given that you were going to go to college and that's the way life was
0: Yes, but not necessarily because of uh, family standards, because my brother didn't go the same route as I did. Um, I think it's just always been in my path. I have always been a super, like all the lawyers, type A, ambitious, <laughs> go-getter, right? Like, So, I mean, I ran for president of my elementary school in fourth grade. I won, <laughs> like, um, like, we had gumballs that we gave out to people as a bribe because gum was like the illicit stuff that you Yes, out
1: the early politician, <laughs> right? Um, I think it's so interesting that you say that because I feel like as attorneys, no matter what we do, because you mentioned earlier, that attorney badge is something you'll always have with you. And so as attorneys, no matter what we do, everybody's like, can you please just slow down for a minute? Like, take some time and breathe. And I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person that if I'm sitting around doing nothing, I get super, super restless. I can't, I got to find something to fill my time.
0: I've had a lot of people reaching out to me, especially now where the world has shifted and everybody's working remotely and people are trying to adjust. Um, And they have just been like, how is this happening? How are you still so much like, on fire. Go, go, go. Like you have so many projects that you're handling. And I'm like, I don't know. This is how I respond to trauma.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. No time. Don't, no processing. You process while you work and while you move on. Um, oh, exactly. So you end up practicing law in Florida in the um, public sector for a nonprofit, correct?
0: Correct. Okay. Um, well, I initially started at a private doing social security law. I did that for two years. I got a lot of experience in the courtroom doing administrative hearings, which was great, and then the moment I had the chance, because I had never really wanted to go into private law, I wanted to be a prosecutor initially, thinking that maybe it could lead to more opportunities in the future. Um, but it just wasn't something that ever came to fruition for me and probably for good reason, because I think I t- I take a lot of the losses very seriously. And if it was somebody's, you know, justice on the line, I think I would have really been heartbroken any time a jury acquitted. Um, as much as I loved criminal law, I think it was for the best that it didn't go that route for me. And then I had this opportunity to do consumer law in Naples which allowed me to do things like pick my own cases. So there was a really there's a big distinction and I think what made it feel like I finally arrived when I got to this job like I didn't have the red pen looking over everything I wrote, mm-hmm. right? Like I could submit my own documents without a person I had to go through beforehand. Um, I had full discretion on the cases that I could pick. I didn't have to um, take a case that I didn't necessarily agree with whereas at one firm I had to defend, you know, a guy who sold
1: six Teacup puppies at like three thousand
0: dollars.
1: I was like, I hate this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can definitely relate to that. So I practice criminal defense and immigration, and I love what I do because of what I'm I'm helping families and doing things like that. But inevitably, there's always that client that you're like, I really don't like you. Like, I know that I have a job to do, and I love it, and I will do it. But I don't like you, (laughs) so (laughs) I can um, I can imagine that that was freeing for you to be able to have that type of control over exactly what your day was going to entail.
0: 1000%. And then also, even if it wasn't a victory that was going to be monumental, I could pursue the smaller fights. Like there was a woman who had um, a deposit for $500 for an apartment that she was scammed out of. The guy had like walked her to the ATM. She was elderly. He's like, you know, just give me the money now kind of thing. And he was going to get away with it. And I was able to take that fight to small claims court, something that a lot of people wouldn't have done because it's not a big return. And for her, it was monumental. So being able to fight the small fights too, that really do matter to people who don't have others to represent them. That was very fulfilling about that
1: job. So how does somebody go from a legal career and practicing in the areas that you were in and making, you know, the difference that you were making in the legal field to traveling and being a travel blogger like that? Those seem like two different ends of the spectrum. How did that happen for you? Well,
0: because I was living two secret lives, right? Like I had my legal life, but then I also had this other secret life that had taken hold online, which was an entity that had now started to grow and build, and my blog. And I was still finding my way around it. I started a blog. It was initially twenties chic, um, which was like tips to survive in your twenties and thrive, and you know all of that. I'm um, so not sustainable. Not in my twenties anymore. Um, but didn't think long term. I just got excited about creating content. Um, I switched over to what. Jen, up to um, because I knew that I wanted it to be more experience based. I had a really kind of birthday where things switched from me being worried about having people come out to the party and like everybody be there to have this fabulous VIP, you know, shindig for me to actually just taking a day where I went and learned how to fly a plane. Um, and I flew over Fort Lauderdale beach and I was like, this birthday was so much better than any <laughs> other birthday I've ever tried to do. And I think that kind of was a flip of the switch in my mind, realizing that I had what I needed to all along. And I was, you know, so desperately looking for all these other things elsewhere. So I think a combination of that made my site be more experience-based. And then at the same time, um, because I was writing for these bigger venues like Elite Daily, I just it happened to be a lucky break. I happened to get along well with the editor there and it gave me a lot of exposure. I had articles with more than 10 million views and shares. So it got my name out there as somebody who's writing. So Pace Magazine approached me and they're an online magazine, but they have really significant views. And at the time they had a travel vertical that they were trying to develop and they reached out to me. And I was like, why oh, they would reach out to me? I don't, I don't have <laughs> travel. Um, <laughs> I don't go anywhere. Um, I just work all the time. I'm an associate. And but I was so actually my first article for them was on like a staycation, like how to travel in your own city. You know, like that's how little I knew about it. But through that, I just started to you know be a little bit more motivated i had now this assignment possibility you know to work with an editor for a magazine and things like that so i started to find other things that i could write about other smaller trips that i could take and then i took this kind of year where i took a, a half dozen trips including a trip to um colorado where i went and i climbed the rocky mountains and i saw these beautiful alpine lakes and i wrote about that and so those kind of half dozen trips that i took culminated and, and at the end of that year, I had like kind of, I had my fill of Tinder and everything else, you know, I was, <laughs> and, and it was just so at the end of that, I'd realized I could take these trips, you know, men were kind of pissing me off. Work was good, but I wanted something different and I wanted a creative outlet and it all just culminated in this perfect set of circumstances that allowed me to say, you know what, forget this. I'm going to take a 12 trips in 12 months challenge before my 30th birthday and I'm going to set out to Just do something different. I loved that feeling that I had on that birthday of just flying a plane. The year after that, I went to Barcelona and I was still working at a firm, but I managed to get like a week off um and then I was like I want to just take that feeling and carry it with me this whole year so last year of my 20s 20 chic is officially going out you know <laughs> like, so we really want to do this with a bang um, and I loved I just was so happy traveling and I remember I told my brother like I just I love traveling and I'm kind of surly when I come back he's like well why don't you find a way to just be happy like that, like in your normal life. And I'm like, well, why don't I just travel all the time? <laughs>
1: <laughs> so like when you said that, was that kind of like that snarky comment and then you didn't realize it was going to be true? Or was it something that you were like, actually, you know what? I really can travel all the time. Like what was the, the, the force behind that?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I resolved to give it a shot. And also, cause I knew that just planning it and because I'm a planner, right, type A. So I would need to research, I need to make sure where I'm staying is the best place. I have to time out of the tours and I have to know what train is coming when and that you know, it's a lot of work. So <laughs> just planning the trip in and of itself was going to keep me busy for that year and keep my mind occupied and not being worried about kind of other things like Am I where I need to be personally at this time? You know, why am I unhappy even though I have these professional successes? All these things that people start to worry about when they're approaching a milestone birthday. And I was like, I cannot be lost in this emotional whirlwind for a year of like, here comes this next stage of my life. Am I ready? Have I done everything I needed to by now? Cannot, cannot do it. That's too much. So... (laughs) Instead, I will be lost in guidebooks and, you know, train routes and finding cheap flights like that. I can super hyper hone my attention into and actually get good results that are productive and help me versus stress me out and burden me more.
1: So while you were taking these trips, were you already writing for the travel magazine at that point in time or did that come later?
0: Yes, I was. And so I had already been writing through those kind of half dozen trips that I took. I wrote a piece about um, tapas that you have to try in Barcelona after my Barcelona trip, tapas in Spain. Uh, I wrote a piece about the uh, things to do in Estes. Uh, park in, in Rocky Mountain National Park in, in Colorado. And I wrote a piece then. My first trip was to Athens, and I wrote a piece about free things to do in Athens, which is still ranking pretty well, um, even though their travel vertical has since been discontinued and I don't write for them anymore. Um, but they were a great gateway into that area that I wouldn't have had otherwise and that I wouldn't have done myself if not for that one email that somebody sent me one day and that I was lured, you know, as a young associate making not that much money by the prospect of, you know, a couple hundred
1: dollars here and there for articles. Like that's, that was great. Yeah. And I think I want to take a minute to point out the courage that it takes to respond to something like that, because so many people are in that spot where they've worked so hard to get to where you're at in your career. And logic says, this is where I need to spend all my time. This is where I need to be focusing my attention. So forget all this side stuff. I'm going to put all of my energy into growing my career and eventually it's going to pay off. So to get that and say, you know what, here's an opportunity and I can take that opportunity and still be an attorney, I think is super courageous and something that people can learn a lot from.
0: And it's because I only had fleeting moments of happiness as an attorney, right? It was never something where I felt like this was it. This is so perfect. This is what I'm meant to be doing. There were so many fulfilling moments. Every time I won a case or made a really good argument or really helped somebody that I, nobody else would have helped, like, I felt good. It was a career that gave back but it wasn't a career where just every day to day, I was like, this is awesome. (laughs) Never. This wasn't that. And I think so many people think like, well, that's life, Jen. Like that's work. Life isn't, life is supposed to be that way. And it's not like, that's the secret. And that's what everybody's trying to tell you. Like Steve Harvey's written books about it. Like everybody's written books about it. Like you're supposed to be following what it is that makes you ridiculously happy and finding a way to monetize that. And for me, it has always been storytelling and that allowed me to do well in, law because law had an aspect of storytelling but when I was able to now become a freelance writer to have a blog to work on my own terms like I'm really loving it I can write whatever I want whenever I want to write it and it's such a freedom and it feels like this was what I was meant to be doing all along all along the magic key was that and in you know, like even now I'm working on a couple of different projects, like we mentioned, and including a book about my 12 trips and 12 months challenge. And I'm working with a memoir coach and things of the sort. And it just feels like, oh my God, like it's not mundane before I would have to sit through a legal conference. And like, I'd be like, oh my God, when is this going to be over? I want to screw go to the happy hour. <laughs> Can I be late and like pretend I was sick? Like I would try to find ways to get out of it. I would definitely not be paying attention when I was there. And I knew instantly that it clicked because I would go to a travel conference and I loved it. Like I would just be taking notes and I'd be like, oh my God, did I miss it? Can I go to all the sessions? Like, you know, like I didn't want to miss a a second of it. And it's supposed to be that way. And it's just so crazy that people think like, no, it's just a job. You're supposed to
1: be miserable. It's yes, yes. No, I love that so much. So if you're listening to this, go ahead and rewind and listen to that again, because it's so powerful. And it's true. We are kind of in this generation where, and I feel like it's changing um, with the younger millennial generation moving into the newest generation, whatever they're tagged as, It's changing to where you're finding that happiness and you're monetizing it, and we're seeing more online businesses and things to that effect. But when we were growing up, definitely it was you go, you get a job, whether that involves college or not, it should involve college, but if it doesn't, you get a job, you retire, and then you live your life. And so this mesh is so important, and I love that it's not too late for anybody to go out and do that. So, what point did you decide? okay, I'm really enjoying this and I think that I could make a full-time career out of this. I'm going to leave the legal field behind. And how hard was that decision for you?
0: I think that turning point for sure was um, towards the end of 2017. So towards the end of that year where I, took the tw- I ended up taking 20 trips that year instead of 12. So I went a little nuts towards the end. And I was like, instead of one a month, I'm going to do two a month. As many trips as possible. 20! Or, <laughs> um so I went a little bit crazy but it was awesome um I wouldn't trade it for anything and it was that just kind of that sense of this is over go out with a bang do it right and I I I've always lived that way never with any regrets like any I you know I took a sick day to go and and be a VIP guest at the chew in in Epcot and I was like I have zero regrets about this as yes. I said here's my like pastry prepared by celebrity chefs
1: <laughs> yes I am. All right. And then afterwards, get a $50 gift card from Disney for my participation. <laughs> Look at that. Get paid for this. Yes.
0: <laughs> I was like, this is just the best day ever. Um, and so I think that, you know, there are some things, and, and I've gotten grief from people, but I think. you know sick days are are what it is and if I have them acute, accrued I will not feel bad about doing it for an amazing experience like that whenever I've taken a sick day for something that's not you know a legitimate sickness it's to do something awesome I promise you that sick day not gonna, like, <laughs> like, yes <laughs> yes and so I just, um, I published my first book then in March. So I, I, and I already kind of knew I was going to make the switch before I even published the book. I had a moment where I was at home and I just felt like I was really on the cusp of something big. And I was, you know, talking to my mom and if my poor mom, who's had to deal before this had to deal with like, oh my God, I'm going to die alone. And I had to deal with like, oh my God, mom, it's such a big change. And I know it's right, but I just don't know if I could do it. Um, and she's just like, oh, this is a lot. <laughs> but, It is a lot. It was a very emotional transition. And I think that's what a lot of people don't realize because it is going past the fear and it is going past the known and it is stepping into something that you completely don't know. And it's scary because you want it to work out so bad. Whereas whatever job you're in, maybe you're okay with it. You're not, you know, you could take it, you could leave it. But because of that, the stakes aren't high and you're really not that invested. And it's so scary to put everything into yourself and entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Because I mean, don't by any means think that it's easy. It's actually like 10 times harder. <laughs> you work all the time. Yes. Off, off hours. Um, and it's a lot. And it is and it is just not for everybody. And I think there are some people who can have a really fulfilling career, know, you know, finding what it is they like to do and finding a creative way to do that. Um, I think there's a lot of jobs now that are being more flexible and allowing people that. But if you are going to go the entrepreneur route, I think if you are afraid, that's your first really good sign because it means that you have something to risk. You're going big, you know, you're bold, you're making big movements and that's a good sign that you're on the right path. Um, And so I was terrified. So that was a good sign. And then also once I published my book, I was able to actually make that concept, you know, to prove that I could write a book, I could sell it, I could do it on my own. And I self-published. I didn't do it through, you know, an an official publishing house or anything of the sort because I didn't want to wait Twenty years to do this. I didn't want to finish my ten-year public service loan forgiveness and then live my dreams. I wanted to get out right then and now. So, yes. <laughs> so I'm gonna publish this book within three months. I'm gonna be out, like you know. And I know it sounds crazy to a lot of people, but you know, like when you're in a bad relationship and you wake up that day and you just like, no matter what, like this relationship ends today like it was kind of like that like with a career like no matter what like this is this is i'm out i'm getting <laughs> <Yeah>. out.
1: <laughs> so i feel like that is again the type a the type a thing right like we spend so much time planning and so much time analyzing and then the moment that we have decided whether we consciously want to acknowledge we've decided or not all bets are off and we're done and and i know for me um when I decided to start this podcast because there was some struggles when I started this podcast and I I would imagine that you can relate where you think I'm putting out something so vulnerable, I'm putting out something um, that's mine and creative and I'm doing it under my name and I have this legal career to think of and what are my peers going to think of me when they read this and see that I'm doing this on the, on the side. Right. Um, but once you make the decision to do that, it's all in. And I went through a very similar thing as you, where, um, I actually thought about putting my first blog post out anonymously. And I remember thinking, Amber, your, um, your blog is all about authenticity and vulnerability. If you put this out under a pseudonym, like what the hell is the point, right? Um, So I bring that all up just to bring up the fact that the people around us don't always understand what we're doing or why we're doing it. And we have the ones that are really supportive. And then we have kind of everybody else that thinks that we have this golden ticket to life. What was um, your close inner circle, like your family and your friends, did they understand your change? Were they worried about you? Were they supportive? Like what kind of things did you have to go through when you made this change?
0: actually been very lucky. And I think that that's also been part of what's emboldened me on my journey. But I've had people that have supported me. My mom, you know, risked her whole life savings to go from a career in traditional education to buying a franchise and risking everything in a new business and her, you know, in her 40s. So she understood taking risks. And I actually had a moment where a coworker of mine who had stepped in a lot during the year that I was um, traveling, you know, if anybody had any emergencies or anything like that, and for that Christmas, so this all happened towards the end of that year, that Christmas she gave me a book. Um, I guess she could kind of like read the writing on the wall. She's very, you know, she works closely with me and she was just a really astute person. Um, and she bought me a book and it's, it was called Scratched, uh, I believe was the name, but it was a book about kind of what authors make as a a bunch of compilations of interviews with a bunch of different authors. And in it, she wrote a little inscription and she was like, okay, go ahead, be happy. Oh my gosh. Oh, that pulls at my heartstrings. Yeah. I just cried like a baby. Cause she is just the most like on, like, you know, like she never participates in anybody's birthday song. She just like quietly closes her office door and like slings out to the corner, you know, she's like really, but she's so tender hearted inside this, like that, like hard exterior. And, you know, she really stepped in for me that year and, and having that support and seeing that, they saw, like, I mean, it wasn't that people want to hold me in a place where I'm not 100% fulfilling or doing what it is I'm meant to be doing. Everybody saw, Um, especially once the book was published, you know, I was getting articles that were being published. um, And I was just, Every time something would happen, I would run in, and that would be my news for the day, and it would be the exciting thing, and people would talk about it, and they saw the website, and I mean, I went to the travel conference when I was still working there, and they made a joke at the meeting. I heard about it later, but they were like, oh, we hope Jen isn't, like, picking a new career over us. <Yeah> it was happening, you know, it was Uh, happening. Nobody (laughs)
1: knew. So how did, I I listened to your TED talk today and I'm going to put a link to your TED talk in the show notes. Um, how did that come about you, um, getting into, I guess it was a TEDx talk, but it's still amazing, um, onto the TEDx stage. And what was that process like for you? Was that, um, nerve wracking or were you just excited to be there? What was that like?
0: Well, Amber, when you make a switch from lawyer to blogger, you get demoted in status like a lot. (laughs) (laughs) It is is rough to have people go, because especially me, because I'm a Female, I look younger, so I would always get you know people assuming that I'm a nobody or an assistant. So I loved, I you know, I, I reveled in it just being able to be like, I'm a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and get that instant level of respect. So when I would tell people, I'm a blogger, they'd be like, okay, um, and I'd be like, well, this is, this is um, And so I realized I needed to do things that could really help me in the long term if I wanted to pursue this. I wasn't going to be okay having people look at me that way. Because, I mean, it's just a thing. I already had, I couldn't have it and then not have it, right? I already knew what it was like to have the respect of my peers. I couldn't live the rest of my life without it. So I started thinking immediately, in, in strategy-wise, what is it that I can can do to make myself more legitimate in this new area that I actually think is going to grow a lot over the next decade. You know, in the next couple of years, it has already exponentially grown and become so much more respected. Um, but I wanted to pursue things that would make me seen as legitimate and would make that same reaction initially when I told them to people. And TEDx is one of those things that has yeah. Reaction. So I don't drop it often, but every now and then, you know, people find me and i are like, oh, I saw you were a TEDx speaker. And then, yes, like that's exactly what I was going for with that. And so I knew that that was something I wanted to do as a personal goal of mine because I wanted to make myself legitimate. I wanted to feel like an expert. I wanted to feel like I had credentials. And um, I've always loved public speaking, I've always loved being in a trial setting and, you know, talking to the audience. So For me, it was a natural fit. And then it just became a matter of finding how to do this, which I firmly believe you can learn how to do anything online nowadays. Um, Yes. Um, so just if you're diligent enough, you listen to enough podcasts, you do enough uh, research and you'll be okay. So I started just soaking in all the information I could. There's a really good resource that I found, Taylor Conroy, and he's done four different TEDx talks and he has a good newsletter and there's some good videos that he puts up. And one of his resources that he shared, because again, I'm like a sponge. I open all the emails. I soak up all the freebies. Um, And so one of the resources that he shared was a spreadsheet that had like maybe 400 different applications for upcoming TEDx talks around the world. And I was able to just go down the spreadsheet one by one and find the ones that were still accepting applications and just throw out pitches. Because I think that's the other thing. So many people are like, I'm going to apply to the one
1: and I'm going to get it
0: or I'm not going to get it. And then that's going to be my
1: defining moment. No, You know what? That's life though, right? Like that's how people, uh, if they approach a TEDx speak like that or talk like that, they approach life like that. Like I'm going to throw all my eggs in this basket. And if it doesn't work out for me, my life's over and I wasn't meant to be anything. And so that's so frustrating when you do that. So anyway, sorry, squirrel moment. But um, so you're looking through this, you see all of these opportunities to apply and you just mass apply for these, I assume, based upon your personality.
0: Yep. I, you know, some tweaking here and there, but I just, you know, set a goal. I'm going to do 10 applications a day and I'm just going to keep sending out until somebody says, yes, we want you to do a TEDx talk. Um,
1: (laughs) And for those that are out there that are in this position, like how many of those did you actually get a response on? And how many was it just crickets?
0: Um, I would say crickets on the majority. That's always the case. But I got a response on at least like a half dozen that were interested that wanted to follow up in some way to do a follow up interview and things like that. And then just boom, one day out of nowhere, I got an email from uh, Penn State first. Ber- Perks and they were like, we want you to be a TEDx speaker. And at this point, I remember because that morning, once I saw that email, I leaped so high, I almost hit <laughs> my nine-foot ceilings, and I just like, oh, God, I'm a speaker. Um, and I started jumping up and down like crazy. And because it was that it was that feeling of like I did it, I achieved this, I set out to do this, I said I was going to do this, and now um that's what I'm gonna go do. And it just became it was a perfect fit. Again, I feel like things happen. I do think that there's an element of like meant to be ness for some things, yeah, you know, I do I have a faith in the universe. Um, and so this was a place where it was a collegiate setting. And so I was surrounded by college students who were all just the most amazing, like I was a very involved college student. So I saw myself in all of them. Like these are students that are going to be here till 3am. They're going to learn everything they can, you know, they're trying their best to put on an event. And I really related to them. Um, and felt comfortable there. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I gave my first talk on a school auditorium. I couldn't think of a place where I would feel more comfortable than on a school auditorium where I have been standing on my whole life throughout all kinds of college settings. Like, it was meant to be for me there at that time. And these folks did a phenomenal job. I mean, the, the quality of audio, video recording, photography, everything that they did was spectacular. So it was what I needed it to be. And it was a very nerve-wracking moment, but it was good. You know, I, I got through it. I memorized it. Um, a lot of people depended on the um, prompter. I didn't want to do that. I and mean, as an attorney, we're told to memorize things. And I wanted to not worry about reading. And I wanted to connect with the audience and all of that and make meaningful movements. And so I like, um, just memorized everything. And I went out there and I did it. And, and that was that. It was kind of a flash. So much anticipation. And then it goes so quickly once you're up there.
1: It does for sure. One of the things that I love about TEDx talks though, and this goes, it was a huge lesson in my life is most TEDx, TEDx talks are between 10 and 20 minutes. Most of them are around that 15 minute mark. And Yet you see these shared all the time. And it's just proof that you can make a huge impact on the lives of the people that you're trying to reach in a short period of time. You don't need this big 60-minute conference spot, although that's an amazing goal and dream to have and one I hope to be in at some point. But those 15-minute talks, those Facebook videos you put out, those blog videos that you put out, those make a huge difference in people's lives.
0: Absolutely. If anything, they encourage you to be more succinct. They want every sentence that you throw out to be for a reason. Um, Because, you know, people have shorter attention spans nowadays, and we want to get to the core of what it is that we're saying. The whole thing of TEDx is to have an idea and to spark an idea in another person where they now have that spark and they think, oh, well, maybe that's a different way of thinking. It's a different way of doing something. And I think that that's why those talks are so powerful and why they've really caught on and, and gained the level of respect that they have.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. So, lawyer turned travel blogger turned TEDx speaker turned author, and I understand you have a new book coming out to help people with online businesses. What is that book about? I do. It's called Twenty Five Ways to
0: Work from Home, and it was something that was in the works already. My next, I knew that I had just finished already my first um, three books, which were all about travel. I wanted to tackle the excuses that people have not to travel, like I don't have the money or I don't have anyone to go with. Um, And I knew that this next series of books, I really wanted to tackle remote work and ways to make money online, particularly because in my endless list of projects, I have started a nonprofit. I'm living in Puerto Rico at the moment, um, and so I started a nonprofit to help people here uh, build online income streams. I think a lot of them are dependent on relief funds because they don't have a way of monetizing their businesses outside of brick and mortar models. And there are so many ways to do that nowadays, is with you know USPS and you know the internet. I mean, you can just reach customers all over the world and connect in a way that we never. Could before, uh, And it's easier than ever to have these businesses now and to teach people, you know, from across the world to host the course to have a podcast that reaches somebody in Australia and, you know, motivates them there. So there's such an interconnectivity now that's allowing us to prosper and make businesses online. And my next book series is going to um, illuminate some of those methods. Uh, the first is going to be just a catch-all of 25 ways that I have personally seen and know people that have succeeded with making full-time incomes online. So everything from, you know, starting your own YouTube channel to professional video editing services, to podcasting, to doing private coaching or summits or consultations or courses. Um, So a bunch of different strategies that people can really monetize, whatever it is that they're good at online. And then the next books after that are going to be on starting a website, because I think that's crucial for anybody that wants to have a presence nowadays. It's like, It's even more important that your home address, like you need a web address where people can find you. Um, And then uh, how to self-publish, because I think so many people have a message that they can get out into the world, but are scared or think, I can only publish a book at the very end of my life once I know everything there is to know, and I can just do that one book (laughs) <laughs> and it's gonna be the culmination of my life's work and that's that's all I can do. And that's just not the case. You're actually encouraged to write as many books as possible if you wanna be successful as an author um, and every book can be different. And you know, I'm, I'm exploring all these different avenues now. I previously wrote about travel, writing now about business, hoping to write a memoir in the future. So I actually think it's better to write more and focus in on what it is that that one particular book is about. Um, and so my third book, my sixth book, third
1: book in this new series will be about self-publishing. And those are the projects I have in the works currently. That's amazing. And I want to kind of hit home on what you just said, because I'm in the process of writing my first book and that thought goes through my head all the time, just like it goes through everybody else's. Like you get to the point where you're writing and I'm sorry, apparently my dog wants to be a part of this podcast. (laughs) So if you guys can hear her, I apologize. Um, But um, you get to the point where you're writing and that itty bitty shitty committee gets going in your head and is like, you have nothing to say. Nobody's going to read this. Like, Who do you think you are to be able to talk? And I love that you just hit on the fact that you put it out and you move on to the next one. And then when you learn more, you write something else. And then hell, let's say you write something and then your opinion on that completely changes down the road. You get to write a book on how your opinion changed. Like It's so amazing. And that's so important for somebody to hear that you don't have to know it all. You, You don't even have to know Most of it, like just write what you know and it's going to impact somebody. Just don't fake it, right? Write what you know and then figure out the rest.
0: Absolutely. You're an expert if you can help someone get to your knowledge base. If you know something that other people don't know and you can teach it to them in a way that's valuable to them, boom, you're an expert. You don't have to be the foremost expert. You don't have to be number one in the world about it. You just have to be somebody that can offer value to that person and make it easier, make their life easier. Um, And that's in the nonfiction world. You could also just be providing entertainment, you know, saucy stories about Christian Grey um, and that's providing (laughs) value to people too. Um, so but yes just done is better than perfect and that every day if you do have a book idea I will say I I say this all the time that every day that you sit there and you don't publish a book is a day that somebody who knows less than you is making money for selling a book on that topic
1: oh my gosh I love that so much I love that quote all right so I want to switch gears just a little bit here and talk about um, the overall theme of this um, podcast which is defining your own idea of success So, for you, what does success mean right now? And, excuse me, how has that definition changed for you throughout your life?
0: I think for me now, success means having the freedom to do the things that I want to pursue, to pursue my own projects and to be financially stable doing that, right? I think that's success. So, if I can do what it is I wanna do, if I can make a living off of it, if I can feel like I'm doing things on my own terms, I think that's great. And I think even before when I was in the law firm setting, I didn't necessarily have that because success always fits a very rigid model that always has you still responding to someone else, right? So if you're a partner, you respond to um, you know whoever it is that is pulling the strings financially in your company. If you're an associate, you're responding to whoever's above you. You know, there's always somebody that you're, if you're in the nonprofit world and you're a director, you're responding to the grant people that are giving you money. Um, So there's always somebody that you're responding to. And I think even now I have, you know, customers or readers, so to speak, but the content I put out is what I put out. And if people don't like that, that's okay. I don't have to necessarily alter myself because of that. I don't have to fit a certain model. Like I can be what I want to be. And so for me, that's success right now, being able to really carve out my own path and feel like I am financially
1: stable doing that. That's amazing. Um, I was actually just thinking while you were, um, while you were telling your idea of success that I'm almost 50 interviews in at this point in time on this podcast and not once have I asked that question and somebody says, my idea of success is X amount of dollars in the bank. And I feel like when we first start, that's kind of the way that our head works. Like I remember telling somebody when I was a kid that I felt like I was going to be successful when I had a hundred thousand dollars, when I was making a hundred thousand dollars a year, then that was success. And it's just crazy to me how um, all of a sudden that shifts and you realize that money is not that important. You, you have to be able to get things. You have to be able to afford things. You have to be able to live, but it's not the most important thing on the planet. And that's what I love about your answer so much.
0: I say that all the time. And it's something that my younger brother still hasn't gotten. He does sales. And so for him, money is the goal, right? Like it's once I make the million dollar sales, then I'm successful, then I'll be happy. And I think it's going to come with time where he will reach that and then be like, why didn't it magically make me
1: happy? Yes. Yes. Thank you. And that is what happens so many times. I told somebody yesterday that the worst thing that can happen is you hit that milestone that you thought was going to make you happy because your entire world crumbles in a second and all of a sudden you have to pick up the pieces. Um, So let's talk about fulfillment just a little bit because one of the things that's come out as I've done this podcast is that I've been surprised at the relationship between success and fulfillment to people, um, because it's so different for everybody. So for you, do you think that success comes first followed by fulfillment or the other way around, or are they entirely unrelated?
0: I would be lying if I said that I wasn't fulfilled by success, right? So I think as an attorney and as a type A person, I really am driven by awards and status and something that shows me that I'm doing well along the way. And that's always been me. And so like just recently I actually got Um, travel writing awards with the National Association of Travel Writers, Travel Journalists Association, and it was something that I didn't think was in the realm of possibility for me. I was like, they're never going to take me seriously, you know, whatever the case may be. So when I got it, I felt so validated, like, I'm a real writer now! (laughs) You know? So I would be lying if I said that I didn't need success to feel fulfilled. I would feel so downtrodden if everything I did wasn't recognized in some way. I do need, I love the medals, I love the shiny metals. um and so it's just it really helps and it motivates me i think it's with everyone and i try to think that way when I interact with others, right, and always be grateful and express appreciation for what others do, because I think we as humans are motivated by that, you know, like, good job, and the gold star, and, like, you did good at this, like, and somebody recognizes it, so I do think it's important to have success to feel fulfilled, but I think success without fulfillment is not enough, right, if I was just successful, but nothing that I did made an impact on anybody, if I just wrote about something that nobody cared about reading, but just had a bunch of eyes on it, like, I don't know, TMZ, um, like, yeah, and not to say anything for him, I'm sure he has a lovely life, but I would feel, <laughs> <laughs> I'd feel a little bit empty. Like maybe what I'm doing isn't really meaning anything in the long term. And that was why I, that was part of the reason why I started this nonprofit now in Rico because I wanted to put the skills that I've learned to something where I do give back to people. I do have a part of me that also needs to feel like what I do makes a difference. It can't just be like what I do is just self-fulfilling and I just sit here in my own little oblivious world because that's not again, how we're wired as humans. It's crazy, but we get so much fulfillment from giving back to others. And so I think if you can find a way to make your skills, you know, work and help other people, you're going to be surprised at how much gets out of that. But I think they're both equal sides of the coin. I think, you know, you need, you kind of need them both.
1: Oh my gosh. I love that answer. And I feel like I could talk to you about this forever, but unfortunately we don't have forever to talk. So, um, Before we wrap up, where's the best place for people to find you to follow up? And where can they find your new book?
0: You can find me on my website, Jen on a Jet Plane, like leaving on a jet plane, Jen on a jet plane. (laughs) And my social media handles are all under that same thing, at Jen on a Jet Plane. And my books are on amazon.com under Jen Ruiz. Perfect.
1: Before we wrap up, I would love to do a quick random round and let everybody have an opportunity to get to know you a little better. Are you okay with that? Let's do it. Perfect. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? Uh, Broadcast journalism. Okay. If you could time travel, where would you go and why?
0: I would probably go to the future because in the past women were really not treated well and (laughs) how shows us that that is a bad idea.
1: (laughs) Right. Um, What personality trait or skill or quality has been most helpful to you in your life?
0: persistence, and getting back up every time I fall, I think that's the key.
1: As far as books are concerned, do you like to read physical books or listen to audiobooks?
0: I like to read physical books, and I like to bend the covers and just get <laughs> all crazy so I can prove that I was
1: here. <laughs> yes. Um, what book have you recommended the most?
0: Um, fiction or nonfiction? Either. Um, for I love, I, I kind of get lost in like kind of chick lit. I like to escape when I'm in fiction. So I love all the Sophia Kinsella novels. Funnily enough, not the Shopaholic, but like every other one. She actually has one, The Undomestic Goddess, that features a lawyer as the heroine. Who, oh, like, really? Yeah, she loses like a million dollars for her firm and like runs to be a nanny in like this middle of nowhere in the UK. And like it's all like it's a really fun story. Um, so for fiction and nonfiction, I think there's a lot of really helpful books out there. I would probably say I just finished Marie Forleo's new book, Everything Is Figure and I really like her attitude. I
1: love that. I love that. Everything is figure outable. I love it. Um, what song motivates you right now?
0: Um, so, I don't know, I've been seeing all these TikTok songs, like, I have <laughs> <laughs> um, I've joined the crowd, so, um, I don't know, I would have to say at this point, I don't know, I don't want to say, uh, there's only the one that's coming to mind, it's, like, the one that's all over TikTok, but, like, the Savage song, <laughs> and I, like, coming up, because I just want to learn the dance so bad, but I haven't landed it yet, um, but other than that, I think in general, I get really pumped by, like, Spanish music, I get the music with drums um yeah I'm a sucker
1: very cool um and lastly do you have a morning routine and if so what does that look like
0: yes so I still teach English online that's kind of like my steady fallback paycheck kind of thing so I wake up in the morning I teach um and then by nine I'm done and then I will eat breakfast I will do something social media like in the morning maybe do an Instagram post something of the sort um and then I will map out my goals for the day I always write down what it is I want to get done for the day, what actions it is I'm taking, and then just brainstorm sometimes. I write all the time. So, um, And then as I go through the day, I cross out those things one by one. And then if there's something left over from the day before, I will move it over to today's list because it has to be front of mind. And I think writing it emphasizes that you want to get it done.
1: Absolutely. So once again, for everybody listening, go check out Jen at Jen on a Jet Plane in every social media and her website. And then you can also check out her new book on Amazon. And again, that book is 25 ways to make money online. Jen, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. I really appreciate all the insight that you gave the audience.
0: Thank you, Amber.